When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome into a very special edition of the Strictly Strikes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad with you on this Thursday night, not quite solo. Mike and Isaac and Andrew Gills have the night off, but I'm joined by a very special guest, and I mean very special guest because there's not too many people like this guy, and that is Joe Goodberry, who is a content creator with his own show on YouTube called Bangles on the Brain, which he does with Cincinnati's Bengals talk with the great James Rapine. He's also on Twitter. He's also contributed to The Athletic and Bleacher Report with 10-plus years of experience of evaluating talent. Joe, good to have you on, my friend. How are you in – you said Buffalo, New York. Is that where you're at? Yeah, that's right. It's 91 degrees today, and I'm super hot, and I don't like that at all. So I'm doing okay really? and could be doing better. Oh, yeah. Give me cold weather over extreme heat. Well, you chose a good place to be in because, I mean, it's about the same thing in Cincinnati. It was uh, mid-80s, early 90s today. Um, so I totally get that. But, no, I am I feel you, though. You'll, you'll get there. I feel like it'll be it'll be cold in no time. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm sure it gets cold pretty soon, pretty quick. But you're obviously an expert uh, when it comes to Buffalo things better than I am. But you're also an expert uh, on all things Cincinnati. Like I said earlier, uh, you – follow the team very closely you've broken down film and you've analyzed just about i would think every Bengals player from joe burrow to travion williams and so like i said there's not many guys doing what you do and so i really just kind of want to get your thoughts and break down some of the most interesting aspects uh, across the Bengals roster and i wanted to sort of start with the offense i think the guy i want to start with is obviously the biggest splash the Bengals had this offseason, and that was, you know, signing Orlando Brown Jr. And, you know, I know there's an interesting sort of perspective because on the one hand, you know, he's made the Pro Bowl almost every year. He's blocked for Patrick Mahomes and ja- uh, Lamar Jackson in their MVP seasons. But he's obviously on his third team in six seasons. He's never been an all-pro. So it sounds like there's a mixed bag on him from across the league. But clearly the Bengals are very high on him. Uh, that's why they paid him the big dollars, and that's why they're willing to move Jonah Williams to the right side. And I'm just thinking, when you look at Orlando Brown's film, you know his most recent film from Kansas City, maybe what you've seen from him in practice uh, during voluntary workouts, what is the biggest upside he has, and do you think the Bengals got it right by signing him? Yeah, offensive line's been such a big issue for the Bengals for at least five years now. So when you get a guy, or get an opportunity to get a guy like Orlando Brown, uh, that I think that it was mostly an opportunity for them to – how the Bengals normally operate is they'll look for a value or a chance to 
get a guy at, at a lesser value than maybe uh, some projected. I, if you remember going into the offseason, uh, many had Orlando Brown getting 20 to $22 million a year. So, you know, when I think the first week went by, the Bengals probably revisited. It sounds like Orlando Brown reached out to them. At, like, are, are you guys looking for a left tackle? Could you come at this price point? And I think they were like, yeah, of course, at 16 and some change average, yeah, we can do that. And even though they even had to give out a little bit more early uh, signing bonus than normal than what they would typically give out, uh, that's even that's a deal that they thought they were getting a value on. So I, I think anytime they had that, have an opportunity to make a move like that, they will jump on it. At the same time, I don't think he's a top 10 tackle in the NFL. I think he – I saw a PFF ranking – I think it was Monday or Tuesday, had him as the 16th best tackle in the league. I think that's fair uh, for his strengths and weaknesses. He's not the most athletic guy. He's a mountain of a man. Uh, he, he's had a lot of experience at right tackle and left tackle. Now he's hard to get through. And the way the chiefs designed their offense, they left you no option as a rusher, but to go through him. And I, if the Bengals match that and do the same things, I think you, that's how you get the best out of Orlando Brown. And I think the differences in quarterback here between Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes is that Burrow's going to get rid of the ball so quickly that it's going to help out Orlando Brown as well. So I think it's a good marriage between the two. I think they'll do what they can to help him out, and I think he's going to be a good mix and upgrade easily the left tackle position for them. I'll talk about Joe Burrow later in the show, but you know, to that point, obviously they've struggled at offensive tackle, like you said, since they lost Andrew Whitworth five, six years ago. Um, you know, They've gone tackle after tackle after tackle from Cedric Obege to – Jonah Williams and now Orlando Brown. I mean, do you know, you talked about Joe Burrow having more time to throw. I mean, how much of a difference is that going to make for Joe Burrow's game next year? Obviously a big difference, but like, how do you specify the difference it'll make for Joe Burrow next season? It should give him more comfort to go off script, extend plays and maybe take an extra peek at what's happening on the backside of a play. And I think what it does is actually open it up for, Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan, if anything, where they, you could see a lot of times where they were, they're almost calling plays or designing plays with one hand behind their back. They knew that the ball had to come out in two and a half seconds. Now, most offenses function that way anyway. So it's, it, they probably took it to the extreme. It was like watching the, the Brady uh, offense with the Patriots and the Bucks, where he's just pre snap, he's confirming post snap, and he's getting the ball out in a flash. And the Bengals can do that because Burrow's that type of processor, and it seems like the receivers are really smart and on the same page with him as well. So they can run that offense. The problem is when you get against a defense or maybe a, a defensive line that's dominating in the game or not letting you run the ball, you're going to have to hold on to it a few times a game. And when the Bengals really couldn't do that, it started to show up. And you could see Burrow was not the most confident at times holding the ball, and, and that was one of his strengths coming out of LSU where he would hold the ball and try and make a play and try and uh, go off script, extend the play as much as he could, and then find somebody open. There were times, I even think last year in that Chiefs game, and obviously you're down three offensive linemen, but that forced interception down the left sideline to T. Higgins where he just kind of put it up, there really wasn't pressure there. He could have waited another half second, maybe confirmed what he was thinking on that play and, and, and you know put the ball up there. But So I think anytime you upgrade a, a part of the offensive line, and it's a big way here with Orlando Brown. It's going to give the offense an opportunity to build things on the back half of the of a passing play, but also for Burrow, give him the comfort that hey, you may actually be able to check that backside and see if that dig's coming open, you know, instead of just forcing it on the front side. 
you know, obviously the Super Bowl and that postseason run is why they got Alex Kappa and, you know, Ted Karras and Lyle Collins. And I almost believe that that AFC championship, with regard to the injuries, obviously, is a big reason why they got Orlando Brown. Because on the flip side, he was a big reason why Patrick Mahomes was able to do what he did playing on one and a half ankles. And they won't be able to. You know, they want to be able to give Joe Burrow the ability to do that with obviously two healthy ankles. You know, God forbid any sort of crazy sort of injury like he had his rookie year. But on the other yeah. side of the offensive line, you know, the big question is what's the competition going to look like? Is it going to be Jonah Williams? Does Jackson Carmen have a shot? Does Lyle Collins have a chance if he's healthy? And obviously, it's really contingent on Collins' health and how well Carmen can maybe take a step ahead of Williams, which is dependent upon, you know, how well has Williams been rehabbing and then how much better has Carmen been doing with Williams gone? Because obviously that means more reps for Carmen. I guess two parts here. Who do you think has the best chance to win that competition? And how much of a chance do you give to Jackson Carmen specifically? Carmen's got a shot because he's taking the reps right now. And it's not full contact. And I think they always know Jonah's going to show up eventually. So it's you know, he, if you had to line up today, Carmen would be the only healthy guy to go out there. I'm not even sure Jonah's ready for full contact so or, or, or going through full uh, minicamp, even if he was willing to, to show up. So uh, I still think Jonah, if everyone's healthy, and I say that with a side of Jonah's never really been fully healthy for a long time. You know, even his first year, he missed his entire rookie year, uh, right. injuring, injuring his pec in, in training camp. And then I say the same with Leal Collins because he's dealt with injuries for the last three-plus years at this point. He's been a shell of himself for the last two. Uh, so when I say fully healthy, fully healthy in terms of able to play doesn't mean they're going to go back and revert back to their, their former selves in, in terms of Collins. Uh, when they were both healthy last year, and Jonah did get – he dislocated his kneecap, what was that, week four or week five? Uh, so it wasn't much to see of them both healthy – because Collins that was thing. Yeah. I think Jonah was better than Collins. And I even think towards the second half of the year, I thought Jonah was better than Collins. The Bengals had to make a massive adjustment to their offensive line and their scheme in order to stop Collins from being beaten around the arc because he really couldn't move anymore. His hips were extremely stiff. You could see his back was stiff. He couldn't bend. And I think the Bengals said, okay, we're going to kick you out even further out wide at right tackle, not just a normal three foot, um, split between right guard, right tackle, we're going to go to five or six feet between you two. And what that's going to do is it's going to force pass rushers to go even wider and make them go back inside and go through. I talked about this for Orlando Brown. Bengals said, all right, we're going to make you go through uh, Lael Collins. So it gave him that advantage to look like he could at least start on an NFL team. And they got him to that point and then he got hurt. Uh, so having said that, I think, Jonah is still their best player at uh, in terms of the three. I think uh, he's 25 and a half years old, going into his fifth year. All the data I've looked up says that points to a guy having his career year as an offensive lineman, uh, being at that age and with that much experience. And, but he hasn't played right tackle in eight years. So it's like, okay, uh, how quickly can he get to it? How quickly has uh, – how often has he been taken – snaps at on the right side there or at least drilling it and practicing it if he's not cleared yet he may not have been doing it much as of right now he may show up to uh to camp and that'd be the first time he's actually doing it because he's adamant about playing left tackle so if he does that'll hurt him and hurt his chances and if jackson carmen is serious 
about all of this, being in shape, taking on the role, moving the right tackle. Because last time they tried to move him to a different position, he looked terrible. Uh, and it's like the narrative last year when Jonah goes down is maybe Jackson Carmen can only play left tackle. Well, that's not an option anymore. So let's see how he does at right tackle. And we'll get our answers probably in preseason. Uh, but I still think the best player of the three, but there's a lot of other factors in this, is Jonah Williams. Yeah, right tackle is going to be the most interesting competition, I think, this entire training camp. And, of course, you have punter, you have running back in terms of who's going to be behind Joe Mixon, which leads to my next question with all this offensive line blocking. Whoever is at right tackle is going to be blocking for either Chase Brown or Travion Williams whenever Joe Mixon is not taking snaps. I'd imagine, you know, that competition to replace Samaj P. Ryan is going to come down to either Williams or Brown. Who do you think, just from what we've seen in limited, you know, limited capacity up to this point, you know, who do you think has a better chance? Is it Brown? Is it Williams? Who would be the better fit at that role, you think? I think Travion Williams has the leg up. Uh, he's been there the longest. He's been developed under them. I, I think they probably trust him more only because he's a veteran. Having said that, Chase Brown had a lot of experience in pass protection at Illinois, and I think he could get in here and look like the more explosive receiver, the more explosive option, and they say, well, if we can get him up up to speed as a pass protector, then we can exploit some of his strengths as a receiver and as a, uh, as a weapon where, that, where I think he definitely has an advantage over Travion Williams. If he can't get up to speed, I do think it will be Williams. Williams has only had a handful of pass blocking snaps in his NFL career. So it's really hard to judge, but when he's been asked to do it, he's been fine. I just don't know what kind of player Williams is at this point. Uh, he was a former fifth round pick that like Chase Brown had like a 15. Yes. Thank you. Like Chase Brown uh, had like a 1500 yard season that final year at Texas A&M. Very similar high usage that final year uh, goes late day three or mid day three, I guess. And, uh, Never really got the chance to play for the Bengals. And the it's not like the Bengals loved Smajay P. Ryan from the jump, right? He was on the roster bubble his first two years here as well. And, right. you know, Travion Williams could have taken that role had he had been, I guess, better or more prepared for it. And instead, uh, P. Ryan ended up getting thrust into that situation. And, and I do think Williams has a chance if he's that guy this year. But I've, I've said this last two years about Chris Evans, too. I'm always interested in if he's going to take a next step. We, we say this just about Jackson Carmen. Who's going to take a step? Which guys? They're going to be a guy that we fall in love with because they finally develop into a player that can help this team. I looked it up recently. Uh, running backs that didn't have more than 250 yards through four seasons in their NFL career have never done anything afterwards. Like it, After four years, if the guy's never done anything, that's it for him. Like He's Maybe he's a role player of some sort, uh, a Cedric Pierman, if you're a Bengals fan, you remember him. He was a special right. teams third or fourth type running back, very similar type. A pro bowler. He did end up making a Pro Bowl, yes, as a, as a special teamer. Special team. And maybe, maybe that's it for Travion Williams, right? And that's fine. You would take that. But that means there's still a big void at running back too. And if that's Chase Brown as a sixth-round pick, I think he can be that. I think he – Jesus, I, I'm going to mess this I up. I got to mix up plenty of times. But, yes, if he can be that guy, that would be a big boost to this offense because I do think he provides a little bit more speed and explosiveness as that third down back that they haven't had since they lost Giovanni Bernard. 
who just retired this offseason, which makes me feel old because I remember when he was first drafted almost 10 years ago at this point. I was still a freshman in high school, which shows you how young I am, but I still feel old. Um, anyhow, though, um, I guess on that note, too, I mean, we, we would assume pending any weird left turn or anything changing with his legal situation, Joe Mixon is the presumptive starter uh, in Cincinnati next year at running back. How much faith do you have in Joe Mixon as the starting running back? Well, I've got all the faith. I think at the at the very least he'll be what he was last year, and I think there's a chance he could be a little bit better than that. Uh, it was probably his best year as a receiver, which is something coming out of Oklahoma. I always thought he was going to be featured as a receiver in the NFL uh, to the likes of Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. I mean, those – those guys coming out of that class, I thought Mixon was with them in terms of pass-catching running backs, and he just never developed into that. And Bengals never trusted him to be that full-time receiving back because of his pass protection. So I at least trust him as the early down runner. He can do that. Uh, he has done that for a long time, and he, he's, he could end up in the top three for rushing yards in Bengals history after this year. And uh, I've got the trust in that. I hope they trust him. I'm talking to the Bengals staff or about the Bengals staff here. They trust him a little bit more in pass protection because I still think that's what makes this offense tick. It is what they're going to lean on in terms of the passing game. And as much as he can help them, it only helps the team. So trust them a little bit more. They're running routes four times every one pass protection that they ask the running backs to do. So let him go do his thing and maybe put less emphasis on the protection. Before we take a quick break, I want to talk about Joe Burrow a little bit, which, you know, we could do a whole podcast on him alone. But, you know, we talked a little bit about how he can benefit from the pass protection. I guess maybe to lead into this, does he benefit so much that Orlando Brown is going to block for a third MVP quarterback? Or does Joe Burrow still have a ways to go before he can beat out the likes of Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen for that award? And maybe even Jalen Hurts? <laughs> Yeah, this is probably Burrow's best season or best opportunity, you know, as we sit here right now and look at it. I mean, he's probably going to lose Tyler Boyd after this year, uh, you know, and, you know, and we got to worry about Higgins and getting the franchise tag and extending him. And you'll probably lose Joe Mason after the season. And they would, you know, who knows? Uh, they don't really have someone in the wings to take over that role. You know, it's not like they spent a top three round pick or anything on the, on the running back position. Uh, I think – the offense is pretty stacked. The O-line is definitely going to be the best he's had. Obviously, the weapons are stacked. If Irv Smith can stay healthy at tight end, he never has been able to. But if he can, you know, I think that's how the Bengals are hoping as well. But it's a great unit is what I'm trying to say. And Burrow is going to have his first offseason, full offseason. Because remember, his rookie year was a truncated, you know, COVID year where they didn't have a preseason. And it was a kind of a weird camp. Uh, and then the following year, he's recovering from knee injury. And then, you know, last year he had the appendectomy. Yeah, so he's never really had the full chance to – excuse my cat just knocking stuff around. But uh, <laughs> he's never had the full chance to really stay healthy and work on everything that he – you know, he seems like a guy that's going to put in every extra effort to get as many reps in as possible. So it seems like a guy who wants that and maybe even needs it, so – uh, this is the chance for him to do it, but you're right in mentioning Allen and Mahomes. And I don't know if Allen, like I think probably equal opportunity for Allen and Burrow, but Mahomes, the best shot there is that the voters have a little bit of fatigue 
that he's won it so much and they want to give it to somebody else because he's so far and away. I mean, just on pace to be the greatest of all time that it's like so hard to actually have a better year than him. You just hope you have a better team, beat him head to head. And the voters say, you know what, this is the year we're going to give it to Joe Burrow. I know I said that would be my last question, but you mentioned Irv Smith. If he can't stay healthy, like you mentioned, how much damage can he do at tight end? Obviously, the pecking order is going to put him behind the top three receivers and also even potentially behind Joe Mixon. If Mixon's looking at another 60-target type season, uh, maybe even plus. But if he is healthy, I think he could have like a 2021 C.J. Uzama type season where he's got some games where he just busts off and, and a couple games where they just can't you know, cover him or he makes a, a timely clutch play, a clutch third down grab, or maybe run after the catch type touchdown. I like Irv Smith. I, I don't think – I never saw him as a second rounder coming out of Alabama. So, for me, I was never waiting for him to break out. He's still only 24 years old, though, and, and which is crazy that he's been in the league for as long as he has. So, there is a chance with how slow tight ends develop in the NFL that he's just now hitting his stride, and we don't even actually know what his upside is. We won't know until the verdict is out, maybe in the preseason, if not week one. But we're going to talk about the other side of the ball when we come back. But before we resume our conversation with Joe Goodbay, we're going to hear from Bengals safety Nick Scott as I talk with him one-on-one in the locker room, talking about his first two and a half months in Cincinnati and his adjustments with Lou Anarumo's defense. We'll have that conversation and more from Joe Goodbury right here on the Strictly Stripes podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. I'm joined by new Bengals safety, Nick Scott, who... Hard to believe, what, you've been here two and a half months now, Nick? How have you been? Yeah, two and a half months. It feels good, man. You know, I get acclimated with the guys. I feel like part of the team. So, you know, I'm really excited about this next phase of OTAs and then rolling into camp. I mean, you've been here, like I said, two and a half months. Uh, you guys are wrapping up phase two of volunteer workouts. I guess as we're talking, you guys have just about wrapped up phase two. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, your first impressions with this team, with this defense, what do you make out of that so far? Uh, I'm just real impressed with this defense, especially his attention to detail and kind of our approach and how we, um, you know, learn the defense, study the defense and get better and make corrections. So, um, you know, that's only going to bow well as you get into the season because, you know, week to week you got to adjust and make corrections and all that stuff. And um, this team is definitely ready and willing to do that. And we got the leaders to be special. Obviously, Lou Anarumo runs a very different defense from what, you know, Sean McVay and Raheem Morris ran in Los Angeles. Uh, what are sort of the differences you've seen with Lou as a coordinator? And why is he such a unique coach with what he does? Oh, man, he's just a, he's a good and unique coach because he's willing to adjust. and He'll adjust on the fly. Um, you know, from what I've heard from the guys, if something's not working, you know, uh, he's smart enough and doesn't have too much pride to change things up if he needs to. He listens to his players on suggestions and things like that. Um, so, you know, that, that bodes well for, you know, the entire team. And it says a lot about him as a coach and a person. He's been described by guys like Eli Apple at one point, described him as a mad scientist. Yeah. Just the way he's able to stop guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, yeah. Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry. Like, it's almost like a long tally list of guys he stopped. Right. I mean, 
you know, the expectation is you're going to stop those guys again next year because you still face the, all those names I mentioned. Right. Uh, to be a part of a defense that's going to face a lot of challenging guys, how much pride do you take in that knowing you're with a guy who has done what a lot of coordinators haven't been able to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lot of pride. And obviously, you know, he's earned a lot of trust from these guys and myself and um, a lot of respect. So, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to be plug and, plug and played uh, wherever he sees fit. Um, because I know he's got a plan, and like you said, he's got a history of doing great things against high-powering offenses, so whatever he needs me to do, I'm going to trust wholeheartedly that that's the best role for the team. You know, the thing that makes you unique, kind of like Ted Karras, you guys came from Super Bowl championship-winning teams, Mm -hmm. Um, and so to bring that experience to a team that is so close to getting back to the Super Bowl and winning it, you know what that's like. You were obviously on the winning side of it against this team two years ago. How nice is it knowing that you could be one of the final puzzle pieces, if not the final puzzle piece, to giving the Bengals a Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, I just look at it like, you know, everybody, as long as they own their role, has a shot. Um, and like you said, this team has been really good for a, for a while. Um, and they have all the puzzle pieces. They've had all the puzzle pieces. It's just sometimes, you know, in this league, you know, the ball bounces your way or it doesn't. Um, so, you know, I'm just looking forward to the opportunity to be a part of something that's extremely special um, and have success in this program. And like I said before, you know, however I can uh, – own and earn a role on this team to help us do that i'm looking forward to it you know your ascension from being a seventh round pick to you know playing special teams to being a starter with coach mcveigh to being here in cincinnati as a tried and true leader Mm -hmm. how humbling is it for you to make that ascension and how does that fuel you to just get better and better every day yeah um it's extremely humbling man i still have the same mindset as you know when i was at seventh round draft pick and um you know that's just kind of understanding that you know everybody's job is is up for grabs uh, at the end of the day so you got to come in and work as hard as you can and prove yourself uh, every single day which I plan on doing and you know we got a great group of young guys that are going to continue to push me to be my best and I'm going to do whatever I can to help them along the way to to you know capitalize on some of their opportunities like I was able to have you given any special advice to guys like DJ and I guess DJ Turner, DJ, I mean yeah. the two DJs, yeah, have you given them right. any advice or, you know, Jordan over there, your, your new teammate, like you give them any advice, the new yeah. rookies? Yeah, my, my, the, I, I kind of give blanket advice and it's kind of tried and true with, uh, um, you know, just my story and that's to embrace your role but never settle for it. Um, so if a team gives you a role, you know, you want to own that, you want to do it to the best of your ability, but at the same time you want to be working towards something greater, push yourself in. Um, obviously, and, you know, be successful in the future. I guess my last question to wrap up this great conversation is uh, two and a half months in, what do you like about Cincinnati as a city? I asked BJ Hill this earlier, and yeah. I like asking guys this, where do you like to eat? Where do you like to go? I know you're a big golf guy. You were golfing last yeah, week. Yeah, what, what do you yeah. like to do in Cincinnati just being here? Yeah, so like you mentioned, I love the golf. I've been bouncing around so many courses. I've been to uh, Legendary, Davu, um, Elks Run, all that stuff. So that's been a ton of fun. And then Honestly, me and my wife, we love just walking around the city. It's such a walkable city. We love walking across the Purple People Bridge and walking up and down the uh, riverbank and everything like that. So it's a great time, man. It's a small city. It's not too crowded. Um, So And it's the summertime, so I'm having the time of my life. That's awesome, awesome, man. That's Bengals safety Nick Scott. Nick, appreciate your time for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. No problem. Appreciate you. We'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, and thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Joining me again is Bengals analyst and content creator of Bengals on the Brain on YouTube, Joe Goodberry. Uh, so, Joe, we heard from Mick Scott, uh, who is going to be presumably the replacement for Vaughn Bell at strong safety alongside presumably Dax Hill, which leads to my next question. You know, assuming that, like, you know, unless Jordan Battle goes crazy in training camp and somehow beats out Nick Scott, if we're talking about Nick Scott as your week one starter, I don't know that he can be Von Bell or fully replicate Von Bell, but what, you know, sort of talent akin to Von Bell or different from Von Bell can he bring, you know, at that position next year? Yeah, the Bengals are going to be probably worse at safety and that's okay i mean you're losing von bell and jesse bates one of the best safety tandems in the entire league uh but mm-hmm. if you're going to replace if you're going to replace them you're going to spend a first round pick uh sign a free agent and then also get a guy in the third round who they would have taken probably at the end of round two in, in a different scenario so uh i think if you're going to do it that's great tools to start with and they may be worse but they'll definitely be different i think they're getting more athletic i think they're getting faster I think they're getting guys that can play multiple positions more often. And I know they always pride themselves in saying, and every defensive coordinator will say, we like to our safeties to be interchangeable. We don't really see as a free and strong safety. We like to mix those guys around, and that's well and good. But the Bengals generally play Jesse Bates as a free safety, deep safety, and Von Bell as the field safety, strong safety type. So uh, Will they have to do that? Will, will they be so confined to do that with a Dax Hill, a Jordan Battle, and Nick Scott trio and whoever comes out of it? They won't because these guys have all played. Actually, the, the least amount of actual deep free safety has been Dax Hill in his career. He's been a, a slot nickel guy and some strong safety box safety for Michigan as a star type uh, rover position. And then, Nick Scott has been a strong safety with a lot of free safety experience in, with the, in the Rams because they played with a lot of two deep safeties. And then with Jordan Battle, he was a strong safety the first couple of years. He was a free safety the last couple of years. I think he's more of a coverage guy than a big-time hitter tackler anyways. I think what you're looking at is they don't have to be either or. They don't have to be a free or a strong. Whoever ends up out there, you can mix them and interchange them. And in fact, I could see a, a plenty of scenarios where you're mixing all three of them on the field, whether it's together or in a rotation of some sort, in an effort to free up Dax Hill to be the star of the defense because he's your highest drafted defensive back. He's your most athletic guy, youngest of all of them. Like, if you're going to try and free a guy up and get him to get in position and make as many plays as possible for your defense, you need the other two guys to be able to play both positions at the safety spot and maybe be the, the deep guys or come up into the box or cover in the slot. And you're saying, all right, now we're going to let Dax Hill do his thing. And we're going to really unleash him. Like, think about it. If you go back to Dick LeBeau and Troy Polamalu or even Ed Reed with the Ravens, it doesn't work unless you have a guy next to him that can do the things to cover up the, the, the deficiencies. So uh, take Ed Reed, for example the best probably center field safety of all time, right? So you better have a really good, strong safety next to him, 
right? You needed that Bernard Pollard next to him in order to really make it work. Uh, you, and for Troy Palomalu, if you want to like let him off the chain and let him freelance, completely freelance whatever he wants to do. He wants to blitz. He wants to drop into robber coverage. He wants to get underneath on a hook. He wants to go deep. They let him do that. They like We feel like he knows what he's doing. You need the other safeties and defensive backs to be able to cover for him and be able to be completely interchangeable so that they can handle all responsibilities. Ryan Clark was that was that other guy. So uh, when I look at it, it, it looks like an effort to free up Dax and be as multiple with him as possible. So that was a lot of really good analysis there. But I guess what you're saying is, in short, you know, they won't be as good at safety next year because you're losing one of the best, if not the best tandems in the league. But – can they get to that point of being the best team in the league? Yeah, I, I guess they could. I, I like the chances of Battle and Dax doing that in a couple years. You know, so I don't know if it's going to be Nick Scott and 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 Dax. He'll be able to do that this year. Um, but even if they're not one of the best tandems uh, this year or in the next year, they're one of the most athletic and fastest, and that's going to be fun to see how Anarumo uh, deploys that. That is going to be very interesting. And obviously, you know, one thing Andrew said is, you know, battle is strictly going to be a safety. So they're not going to use him in the slot like they did with Dax Hill last year when he was mostly behind Jesse Bates. So that gives us a little bit of certainty and clarity on what Jordan Battle's role will look like. But, you know, the question is, will he come in and sub package roles? Will he be kind of like a Trey Flowers where he covers tight ends on third down like mm-hmm. Flowers did with, you know, Mark Andrews and Cameron Brayton, Travis Kelsey? I think that's the part we're not sure about. I mean, you could get Akeem Davis-Gaither and have that be your guy, bring him in on third down packages and put him on tight ends. Either or I think would make sense, but, you know, we just won't know until training camp in week one. Um, but, you know, as you kind of shift over on the defense, uh, another guy I wanted to ask you about who I probably should have asked about a little bit earlier, of course, is uh, Miles Murphy, who was the center of attention in the first round of the draft. You know, we, we like same thing with Jordan Battle. We don't exactly know how he's going to be used. Does he come in a certain amount of snaps? How many snaps does he take from Sam Hubbard to Trey Hendrickson? Do you use him on third down? You know, are you going to use him the way you used Joseph Osai the last year when Osai was healthy? I don't think we truly know, and we're not really going to know until, like I said, training camp in the preseason, but what is the ideal role for Miles Murphy as a rookie? And what kind of expectations do you have a guy like that as a rookie? Yeah, as a rookie, I don't have high expectations in terms of his singular output or production. You know, if he gets you four and a half sacks, I mean, that's typical and that's fine for a guy that young. Uh, we really didn't have high-end sack production at, at Clemson anyway. So, you know, we shouldn't have the the highest statistical expectations for him over his career. We're looking for a more explosive Sam Hubbard. Maybe that's an eight-sack guy a year uh, that's just quicker, faster type of, type of guy. Uh, and that's fine. And maybe he'll be there near two, three, four, you know, in that range. But for year one, I expect uh, him to, and I think this would be a success if he could spell Hubbard and Hendrickson. Those guys have played a load of snaps the last two years as the Bengals have made deep playoff runs. Uh, I think they're probably getting a little bit overused. They don't seem like they ever really want to come off the field. And maybe that's due to some of the depth behind them. But as Joseph Osai goes in the year three, Miles Murphy, a first round pick you may not have much of an option but to come off the field a little bit so maybe that means you use Hendrickson more in obvious passing situations and maybe in some of the early downs you get him off the field and let Miles Murphy uh, get in and, and and play that role and if that's the case then I like that and I think there is maybe some bonus rotation 
with him as a D tackle? I guess an interesting question that we can't really answer until, you know, the end of next season is if Trey Hendrickson doesn't do well, but Miles Murphy does, is Trey Hendrickson at risk of being a cap casualty next season? Yeah, I actually think uh, next year you could see a, uh, maybe a scenario where Hendrickson, if he doesn't hold out or maybe wants to hold out because I think he's underpaid $15 million a year. If he was out, out in open market, for being a top five to 10 pass rusher, that's we're looking at a guy that would easily make 18, 20, $22 million. And even if it was just a two, three year deal at this point, I think he would want to redo that deal. And I, I don't see the Bengals. They typically don't do that. So I could see it being a situation where it's a bit of a stalemate. I don't think they'd release them. Uh, maybe, I guess if Murphy and Osai take a step, that's maybe unexpected, but uh, no, I could see him maybe approaching them early. That is, oh, I did not think about that. That is interesting, and I think yeah, if like you have a weird situation situation where Murphy does okay, but Hendrickson is lights out, then Bengals might have an interesting situation on their hands. I don't know, um, but of course we won't know till next year. Kind of going back to the defensive backfield, you know, I think the writing's on the wall with you know selecting DJ Turner uh, in the draft, which Adobe Uzi obviously. You know, he'll be 28 this year. If he's not 28 already, he's closer to 30. Uh, the RDF Cam Taylor-Britt, a young guy who was thrust into the spotlight last year. You know, I know it's too soon to, to say anything about DJ Turner, but I guess first off, you know, it's kind of set the premise. I mean, do you think this is a sign that Chidobe Wizier is going to be gone next year? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think it's very similar to the Bates-Dax Hill pick where you're like, okay, in a year we're not going to be able to afford this guy even if he bounces back and he's healthy, which we don't even know what that'll look like, right? It may take him a year and a half to fully get back to where he was, uh, maybe right before the end of, of the season, this season. And if he does bounce back, that prices him out of the range. And if he doesn't bounce back, well, that leaves you with questions anyway. So we can, we've seen the Bengals, a similar situation of Von Bell, where it's like, hey, you're 28, uh, we want to extend you. Bengals typically don't like to pay guys into their into or over their age 30 season. So Absolutely. I can see them looking at, yeah. And saying, you know what, we'll just keep DJ Turner and, and Cam Taylor Britt. If Cam Taylor Britt, imagine if he just takes a small step forward this year and looks like a, a good starting corner, I think they're going to say, yeah, why would we pay all this money when that money could easily go to T Higgins? Or, you know, maybe even Logan Wilson, which I know that's by itself a home of the discussion. But, yeah, and I think maybe that's going to mean that DJ Reader is going to be on the way out the door because obviously he's been hurt lately. He's going to be 30 next year. I think especially when you're a defensive tackle at that age, your motor really starts to wear out. And, you know, when you're the Bengals, you don't have to pay that much to guys at that age. It, It makes perfect sense to me. You know, and I think that, you know, what happens with Hendrickson, Reader, and the Wouzier is going to be interesting to watch. But, I think Reader, Awuzie are going to be out the door. Wilson is a toss-up. I think with Wilson, it depends on what happens with Higgins. Let's say the situation where like, they can't keep T. Higgins. They know they got to pay Jamar Chase in the future. But you have money to give to Logan Wilson, kind of like how last year, I guess this year, they couldn't pay Jesse Bates, but they paid Jermaine Pratt. I could see it being like that. So I think there could be a better chance that you keep Wilson over Higgins, although – Ideally, you'd want it to be the other way around. I'm not a salary cap expert. I know the very basics, but I'm sure if you dig deeper, that's a whole other topic. But um, I do want to kind of wrap up with just sort of your general thoughts. I mean, we talked about 
all the draft moves they made, or most of the draft moves, obviously, that were most notable. Uh, we looked at biggest free agent signings, like with Nick Scott, for example, Orlando Brown. How does Joe Goodberry draft the Bengals overall offseason, and what are your hopes for 2023? Yeah, overall, I think they did well, or as well as they could in the situation you are. You, you're more likely to lose your good players once you get to this point, especially now going forward. I think that's – we got a lot of new fans, right, that are out consuming the content and uh, watching the Bengals. The Bengals have been not exactly in this position before, but with really good teams and rosters uh, and where they have to extend their own and extend an Andy Dalton and an A.J. Green and a Clint Bowling all from the same class. Um, and, you know, all that wrapped up, and they did all that before 2015. And that would be the final time they make the playoffs with that trio. And I'm not saying that same, those same things are going to happen, but once you start paying these guys – you start losing a lot of players as well. So the Bengals are going to pay Joe Burrow this offseason. We're they're going to try and get T. Higgins and Logan Wilson, and then eventually in the, in a year it'll be Jamar Chase. And what that means is you're going to lose players. You're going to lose Von Bell and Jesse Bates, and you're, you're going to lose DJ Reader and Shadobi Awuzie. And you just hope you draft as good as you possibly can, and that's the only way to supplement it. And I think the Bengals have done that, and. If they continue to do it, they'll have a good team and they'll be fine. Uh, overall, I think they are probably having a B plus offseason overall, yeah. and I think this is the best roster they've had. And yeah, I, I would say I, I I wouldn't go in the A because I thought the draft was just uh, again. I, I think I gave it a B B overall draft in the offseason because of lo- the people they did lose. And they didn't get a tight end, and then they get address a tight end and draft, you know, other than Irv Smith. And I don't have high hopes that he'll stay healthy. Uh, overall, I think this is a strong and very good roster, and probably the best roster in the league. And you got a top five quarterback with the same coaching staff now for four straight years. It gives you a legit shot to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think really there's a good chance they beat the Chiefs again in Week 17. I think there's a good chance they beat them again, maybe in the AFC Championship if they meet again. So who knows? Um, I think there's a good chance that the Bengals could definitely, you know, not only get back to the AFC Championship, but do it by getting past the Chiefs, getting to the Super Bowl. And, I mean, who knows? The NFC is really – I think it's honestly just as weak as last year. Like, you got the Cowboys, obviously, with Dak. Uh, You have the Eagles who were just in it and really should have won it, in my opinion. But beyond that, like, no one from the NFC, and I guess the the 49ers, but I'm not really sold on them until I know what's going to happen with their quarterback. Is it going to be Brock Purdy? Mm -hmm. Give Trey Lance one more chance? And no, I didn't mean to rhyme that. Or do you really think Sam Darnold still has that first-round caliber potential? I don't know. But the point is, whether they play any of those teams in the Super Bowl, if they get there, I think they certainly have a good chance. No doubt. Joe, that is all the time we have tonight, but um, I really appreciate you joining us. I mean, you just showed why you're one of the best analysts out there. Um, I have a good feeling this won't be the last time we talk with you, although it was obviously the first time. Uh, We really appreciate your time from all the way in, you know, hot Buffalo, New York, as we were just to say that. Really appreciate you again, my friend, and uh, looking forward to chatting with you again soon. Yeah, we'll do it soon. Likewise. Once again, for myself and my special guest, Joe Goodberry, I'm Muhammad Amon. We'll see you back soon with Mike and Andrew on Friday.